Hello, everyone, and welcome to another session of our weekly series, Marketing Ops Confessions. We have another amazing guest today. I'm so happy. Everyone that is on the show is just absolutely incredible. If you're not here live, you can always catch it afterwards, but there's magic in the chat room. There's magic in the questions. There's magic just being here live today. Um, and not to mention, you get a $25 lunch card for joining us as well. Um, so we have Brooke Bartos here from Invoice Cloud today. I will give her a proper introduction in a second. I do just want to run through a few housekeeping slides. Um, very simple. Use the chat. It's a great place to engage. I just sent out a note. Share where you're, um, where you're located, your role and your company, your favorite MarTech tool so we can kind of get the conversation going and also feel free to share your LinkedIn uh, URL as well. As mentioned, we always like to have some sort of incentive um, during these sessions. And this month and next month, we'll be doing um, an attendee incentive instead of a giveaway. So everyone here today is going to receive a $25 lunch gift on Mad Kudu. Um, and anytime you come back, you'll get that as well. Um, and without further ado, I'm so excited to introduce Brooke Bartos, Director of Marketing Ops and Analytics at Invoice Cloud. Hi, Brooke. Hi, Hannah. Brooke is such a fireball, and I'm so excited to have her on the show today. She is a four times Marketo champion. She's on the 25 influential women to watch in marketing ops list, 29 change makers who are shaking up the marketing world, Revy finalists, marketer of the year, fearless 50, it goes on and on and on, and we will dig into that. But um, Brooke has lots to share today, and, and let's go ahead and dive in. I'm going to go ahead and get rid of this screen so everyone can see your lovely face. So um, Brooke, in your evolution into marketing ops, we had this discussion and you shared with me that you, know, you kind of moved from a generalist role into an admin role. And you told me that initially you got kind of a little bit of pushback there, but you just kept charging ahead. And you had this grit, I think, that allowed you to push forward. And in nine months, you became not only Marketo certified, but then a Mar Marketo champion and acquired eight out of the 11 then Marketo specializations that were available at the time. That's mind-blowing, and I think there's a lot that we could dig into behind that because there's some lessons learned and some insight that you can share. So I'd ask you, like, what attributes do you feel were, you know, for yourself absolutely necessary for that kind of accelerated growth? Yeah, I think for me, so I, a while back, um, you know, I was always an athlete in school, I was always, you know, the type to, to really push myself and I looked for opportunities for challenges. And so when I wanted to move into that Mercado admin role and got that pushback, uh, you know, it, it, it hurt, but it fueled a little bit of fire and the process of having to interview somebody that would be for the job that I wanted um, and go through all of that, just continued to add fuel for the fire. And when finally the door cracked open just enough for me to, to get a shot at it, um, you know, I just went full speed at it and, and sought every opportunity that I could to continue to not only grow my own skill set, but to prove to the people who did believe in me that their trust and their faith was well-placed. Um, mm. And so, you know, I, I was fortunate that my boss 
gave me the opportunity. She created room for me to be able to learn and to grow and to take those risks and opportunities um, through trainings and courses and, you know, taking the time to be involved in users groups and actually get in there and experiment and do that. And I made sure that I took well solid advantage of that. Um, and that was, yeah, as you mentioned, you know, three months later after, after getting a role as an admin, I became Marketo certified for the first time kept pushing through that, got the different specializations, became a Marketo champion, um, three months later became a Marketo users group leader, and, and it just didn't stop from there. Uh, you know, I think it's it's still something that pushes me to this day is what can I do with the opportunity that was given to me? Uh, how far can I take that? And, and in return, being able to take that and give back to the people who helped me get there through things like the users groups and mentorship and uh, different organizations out there that support others in marketing operations. Yeah, that's fantastic and so critical for us to give back and kind of lift as we rise, as they say. Um, and I love hearing that too. So for for those that feel like, you know, maybe looking back and, and are in your shoes now, like that just don't feel like they have enough Marketo experience, but they really want to get there. What would your advice be to them? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter whether it's Marketo or, or any other platform. Yeah, um, good point. You know, network. Seek out the people who are in roles or that you look up to. I think that's one of the biggest things that I've seen in the marketing operations community is just how open and giving people are with what they know um, and sharing that information. It's not some protected deep, dark, dark secret. Um, you know, there's really this open sharing. And a lot of that happens on Slack communities, on users groups. Um, many of these platforms have some sort of a forum for Marketo. It's the Marketing Nation platform. Mm -hmm. um, but even reaching out to people on, on LinkedIn and things like that, you know, and of course you mentioned the Marketo Champions program. That is some of the uh, best and the brightest that are out there, but also some of the most supportive and warm and welcoming groups of people that you will find out there. So seek out those people that have that knowledge, make those connections and lean into that. Ask the questions um, because you're going to get help. You're going to get answers. You're going to get support. And, and I think that's one of the greatest things about being in marketing operations. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, absolutely. And that's like one of the very reasons why we started this series too. Is so we could like really amplify even further and gather together the community and share. There's so much knowledge and we're just trying to extract it and put it into a format where it's easily digestible and out there in the world for everybody. Well, and I uh, even see some of my fellow Marketo champions in the chat box right here. Hi, Kiara. Um, <laughs> so it's, you know, it, it really is. We support each other inside and outside of our job roles. So Fantastic. It's a must, a must do. Okay, let's dive in a little bit to your role at Invoice Cloud. Um, and when we were first talking, you had mentioned um, the first thing you did when you joined Invoice Cloud was a tech stack audit. Pretty typical, um, you know. It's the it's the best way for you to get the lay of the land and understand the gaps and where that road might map might take you. But interested in kind of the process behind that, and you know, what did that look like, and what were some of the biggest gaps that you found? Yeah. So the starting point with that was really just sitting down and having those one on ones with different folks across not only marketing but sales sales ops, customer success, um, and just talking to people like, hey, what are you using? What platforms mm -hmm. does your team use? Um, how are you communicating with customers? How are you gathering information? And I, 
I actually just opened up a free Lucid chart and just started writing. What was everybody saying? What tools were they using? And then started working to figure out what was connected, what was siloed. Um, a lot of that came with just sitting down with my Salesforce admin. What do you have in App Exchange that's connected right now? What do you know that's on the roadmap? Um, it, it started to build those relationships that are going to be very important for me going forward, but it gave me an idea of what the tech stack looks like on both sides of the house, because anything that we do that's integrated affects everybody from end to end on the customer journey. And so mm -hmm. if I can look on the marketing side and see that something's integrated with our marketing automation system and our marketing automation systems integrated with Salesforce, and then you know a data warehouse is integrated with Salesforce, everything's gonna flow back and forth. So I built out a graph of what was connected and what was not, and it started to give me a picture of you know, where are, entry points for data that could cause hygiene issues? Where are there silos that could be inhibiting our marketing in things like segmentation, uh, you know, being able to target appropriately or nurture, and how does that start to impact the sales team? And once you can start to see where those gaps exist, then comes the problem solving part. Is this something maybe the information exists in Salesforce and when the sync was set up, maybe those fields weren't synced over, that could potentially be an easy fix. If it's data mm -hmm. entry points, you know, sometimes that can be standardization. Um, you know, some of the things that I rolled out right away were, were different tools and builders within the marketing team to standardize things across the organization from the customer acquisition side to customer marketing. Um, that way everybody's starting to speak the same language. But without that, total picture from end to end, I would have had no clue where some of those gaps existed and, and where those silos were that needed to be broken down. Uh, but it also fueled a lot for me in building out what my tech stack roadmap will look like for really the rest of 2021, but even into the first half of 2022, um, and how I can start to build onto that to take us from where we are now to where we would like to be, you know, a year or two years, five years from now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think it's it's also so critical in um, just doing this. And, and we talked too about like this house analogy, right? Maybe you can expand on that, but you have to do this kind of like clean up and, and like first like draw the map, right? Draw the map and then understand like what needs to be cleaned up, make sure your foundation isn't cracked. And um, really before you can start piling onto that. And I'll let you expand on that analogy because I absolutely love the house analogy that you shared with me. Yeah, we were we were talking about it as as the way you would build a house, right? You start with your architectural blueprints or your plans, your roadmap and what you want this to look like. Um, but you build your foundation and especially for us and being in a startup, a lot of times as building happens, um, some of that building was disjointed and where teams had maybe purchased a point system that solved a problem now, but weren't able to see how that interconnected or what that looked like long range. New people have come on with new preferences, that sort of thing. And so you start to get something where it's a little bit little bit messy and disjointed and you find gaps and cracks and things that need to be fixed. But just like any type of you know construction in, in building a house, right? After the house itself is built, there's always a deep clean before you move in and start decorating and work on, you know, the 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 shiny things, right? The the visually appealing things that you get really excited about. You've got to clean up the cobwebs, the dust, the dirt, fix the cracks um, mm -hmm. that just come along the way. And so that's for us, that's really where we are right now is, you know, we're a, a 10 year old startup. Um, with that came some technical debt, some, you know, data debt that 
came with <laughs> that process along the way. Um, so, you know, part of the the building and the decorating is also the cleanup along the way so that we don't have dust bunnies sitting in the corner. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, a little bit of a curveball, but did you, did you run into any like gotchas or anything that you were like, wow, I've never seen this before. Anything that surprised you in this process? You know, I think you're always going to run into those when you move into a new organization. Uh, I always ran into those when I was in consulting too. Everybody does things a little bit differently. Um, mm -hmm. And especially for us, you know, I, I had a lot to get my hands around because we do have a couple of different go-to-market strategies and different audiences and verticals. Um, so even within the same organization, we have things that are done a little bit differently. And so where I thought something might have applied in one area didn't always hold true um, in the other. So I've had to learn a, a couple of different different variations of the same thing within mm -hmm. my role because I, I do support each of our different areas of marketing behind the scenes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes. And we as um, marketers are in under that big umbrella of marketing. We're so good at coming up with definitions for many of the things that mean the same thing. Um, and so it's so important that we kind of like, okay, we're joining this new organization it's likely that these things are all the same, but the way that they're defined and then, you know, what they're called and the terminology, like that can be so incredibly different from org to org. Um, and speaking of that, when <laughs> definitions, because definitions I think is so critical to alignment and understanding, you know, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? Let's all agree. Let's all have the same definition. Um, and you mentioned sales tech. So you did not just look at MarTech, you looked at the sales tech stack too, because you recognize that, you know, obviously like sales and marketing alignment is, is a key driver to success at any org. Um, so, you know, I, I think that we'll dig into that in a minute because I have lots of questions on sales and marketing alignment, but I want to first talk about when you were able to, you know, identify these gaps, look at all of the tools that you thought you might need to fill them, um, you started talking about attribution. And that was kind of like the main thing that you said, okay, this is, this is our key tool that we need to bring in. And for me, you know, in my opinion, I think a lot of, a lot of people struggle with attribution because it remains this like uncracked code. People don't see the results that they want. The tools are expensive. They're overwhelming. It feels like you're operating in a black box. And I, I guess I would ask you, you know, like what going through this process, like what do you say to those folks who are confused and frustrated with attribution and like don't even know where to start? Yeah. Attribution is a tough one. Um, there's so many things that go into it or so many foundational things that you need to have in place in your CRM, in your marketing automation platform um, to really make those things successful. And yeah, mm -hmm. to your point, a lot of these attribution tools aren't cheap. Um, depending on what you're what you're looking at, right? There's there's certainly ones that are base level that do one thing. There are some that are very, very robust, very, very powerful. With that can be a lot of sticker shock for a lot of people. And you're not going to be successful in that if you're not doing the basics in your CRM and marketing automation platform. And so for a lot of people, the not knowing where to start, that's really mm -hmm. where it comes from. Um, and it can be things like campaign or program membership in your marketing automation platform and campaign membership in Salesforce, uh, tying spend to your campaigns, uh, using UTM parameters. That's a big one. And I, you know, I saw it all the time in, in consulting, um, 
you know, it's something that we've standardized now across Invoice Cloud, but having something there in place to track where web traffic is coming from and the different channels, that's something that anytime you're talking to an attribution vendor, they're going to talk to you about, are you using UTM parameters? So even mm -hmm. before you start to get into those conversations about a platform, that's something that you yourself can start to do in your organization is standardize and roll that out. Standardize the use of Salesforce campaigns or um, Dynamics campaigns. Making sure you're assigning campaign membership and progression statuses in your marketing automation platform. That's going to be your base. Then you can start to look at those types of platforms. And if you think about the types of insights that you're going to be able to get out of that and how that's going to impact your marketing spend, that can be hugely impactful. For us, one of our biggest challenges is having contact roles on opportunities. And I know that's something that I've heard from a ton of other marketers too. And so having something that's an attribution platform that'll let us look on an account-based level, since that's how our sales team operates, is going to be a big lift for us and help us reflect that back in our marketing spend, making sure that we're putting money toward the things that are actually impacting pipeline and revenue. Um, you know, certainly there's always testing and trying new things and experimentation, but when everything is, you know, throwing a pile of spaghetti at the wall and hoping a noodle sticks here and there, uh, it's, you know, there's a lot of money that's going to end up wasted in marketing and it becomes really hard to really prove marketing's impact as a revenue generator as opposed to a cost center. Um, so that's why that became really one of my biggest priorities when I came into this role. That's it's priority number one for me right now is to up-level us and get us to a place for that purpose. Yeah, yeah, I love it. And something that we, you know, myself being on the marketing side and kind of being like that more technical marketer, I have seen over and over again, it's really, and I put this in the chat too, it can be really difficult to get marketing teams to want to use Salesforce campaigns and want to like, understand why, but then if they're not using them, they're kind of scratching their heads around attribution and it's, you know, kind of becomes this big cluster. But do you have any tips for like rolling that out and enabling teams to, to actually use those campaigns and understand why they're so important? Yeah, I think that's one of those things where your marketing automation platforms, some make it easier than others. Um, calling out Marketo, for example, you can actually create Salesforce campaigns from Marketo without actually having to log into Salesforce and do that, which is nice. Um, in some of the others, you have to create your Salesforce campaign first. But one thing that I always rolled out for my teams in consulting and that I'm, I'm rolling out now is a go-live checklist. And one of the things on there is, do you have a Salesforce campaign built for this? Um, does it align to the channel that this campaign is focused on? So for something like a webinar, obviously you've got registered, attended, that type of thing, which is different from a content download. So do our statuses reflect that? Um, but I make that as a part of a go-live checklist and everyone who's building a campaign um, or, or any kind of outbound marketing that's going to go live is going to have this checklist to go down and say, do I have, you know, UTM parameters? Do I have a Salesforce campaign? Do I have all of the assets do I need that I need? Are they all connected properly? Um, and QA is a big part of that too. If, if you have a small team, certainly that's harder. If you're an individual contributor, there's oftentimes nobody that can QA you. And so it's a great thing to just check those off yourself. Um, but especially as you're onboarding new teams and your teams are growing, that sort of thing, it, it keeps a standard of consistency. And it's a great thing just to have in the back of your pocket. Um, 
you know, especially when you're launching things for the first time or, you know, expanding something, um, just to make sure that you're checking all of those boxes and really ready to hit the ground running with that. Yeah, great advice. Um, okay, I want to get back to my topic on or the topic of sales and marketing alignment, because I think it's, you know, something that we absolutely have to talk about, especially when we're thinking about tech stack and introducing all of these new processes and, and just coming into an organization, right, like in that marketing ops role, how can I have an impact here in strengthening this relationship. So you know, I know that you mentioned when you joined Invoice Cloud, part of that analysis that you did was looking at the sales tech, as I mentioned earlier. And, you know, I think what you had told me was that there were differences, right? Differences in data models and structures and what marketing and sales were using different definitions as we had talked about. So that then requires a lot of re-education and an attempt to get that alignment on track. But I think that it absolutely has to start with buy-in because if people don't want to do that or if people are like, man, like this isn't worth my time, it's just a waste of your time and your effort and all of your resources. So how do you go about gaining that buy-in and trust from the sales team? Yeah, you you really hit on it. Trust is a key foundation of that. Um, I think one of the most important things to remember in marketing that our customer is not only our prospect, but also our sales team. Part of the job of what marketing is doing is to make sales job easier. Uh, you know, a lot of the sales cycle is happening now within marketing before that handoff occurs. And so the more information that we can prepare them with, the better we can educate that prospect, the easier their job is going to be, and the more that's going to help with pipeline and revenue acceleration. Once we can lay that foundation down of like, you know, it's really that help me help you, right? My job here is to really help your team. Let's talk about how we can do that. What's important? Um, what's working? What's not? What do you wish you had and don't? Um, what are your challenges? What are your struggles? Sit down and actually listen and then kind of look at it as that opportunities versus challenges, you know, where you can find opportunities to impact, even starting with little wins. Um, but those little wins can start to build a foundation of trust. And if you can create that feedback loop, um, you can start to build that and say, hey, we're listening and we're going to be making adjustments and trying to support you. And then here's what we're going to try. Here's what we'd like you to do with it. Um, a really good starting point for us is always even something as simple as a scoring model talking to sales teams. What are your ideal customer profile? What are you hearing? Uh, that goes into how you build out your scoring model and how you send people over. But communicating that something like that isn't set in stone, that their feedback will be valuable in the continuous improvement of that. Communicating with sales can also be a great opportunity for content development. Um, you know, as people go through your nurtures or come through your website and you hand them off to sales or they fill out a demo request, when sales is having those conversations, what are they hearing? What questions are they getting? Because then your content team could use that to create blog articles or white papers or webinars or content that can add that into the education piece beforehand so that when sales has that, they're either enabled with content already that they can share or your prospect has already absorbed that content and now they can have a conversation that's that much farther along. Uh, so opening those lines of communication and keeping that going starts to build that trust and that foundation, especially when it, when it really is that, hey, help me help you because we're in this together, our goal together is pipeline and revenue because that's 
more budget, that's more money in our pocket, that's more growth for our organization. It makes us all successful. Those definitions, um, that's a huge thing. You know, if, if the organizations are speaking different languages as to what is an MQL, um, what is marketing generated pipeline or what is sales sourced pipeline, um, you know, at the end of the day, pipeline is pipeline. And if, if there's a bunch of infighting about who's sourcing it or who's influencing it, that sort of thing, it's not going to get you to the ultimate goal of just generating revenue. Um, so certainly there's the attribution piece, but it, it needs to be viewed with a lens that marketing isn't trying to take credit away from sales or you know take money out of their pocket. Um, that can often be what feels like the biggest threat. Speaking across that and say, hey, look, we want to see where this influences a card. Certainly it's going to broaden that view. But when we can see that, we can do a better job of getting more leads, more higher quality leads over to you so that you can actually sell more and sell better. Um, and so that's the thing. You've got, to, you've got to understand what those key drivers are for people. And oftentimes money is a big piece of it. Uh, so if you can speak to that and, and why that alignment is going to be important for both sides of the house, that's really going to help build that too, because you understand what's important to them um, by taking the time to listen. Yeah, fantastic advice. And I always say too, usually people want money or they want time. It's a spectrum. So it's money for what, time for what. You can always figure it out, but understanding that those are likely the key drivers in some shape or form, and then asking the right questions to figure out, but where on that spectrum do they fall and why do they care about it? Um, you know, why do they want time for this? Why do they want money for this? And that can get you even further into those pain points. Um, I love what you said about keeping the momentum with that sales and marketing alignment because you're so right. Like it's never going to be set it and forget it. And you have to really think of it, as you mentioned, like it's a relationship, right? And you can't just leave a relationship out to dry. Otherwise, you know, it's not beneficial for any, anyone in that relationship. So um, what are some of the things that you do or, or implemented to make sure that this relationship and alignment was constantly being or is constantly being nurtured. Yeah, I mean, one thing that that we've done internally, but I always encouraged when I was in consulting, um, you know, using lead scoring again as an example, creating a, a schedule for feedback. Um, you know, when you first roll that out, it's kind of like, okay, well, we're going to, we're going to make sure that we're not accelerating people too quickly or that we're holding them back too slowly, um, that the people that are coming over hit the qualifications that we're looking for and just having that feedback. Um, so sometimes that might be once every two weeks to start, maybe that's once a month to start, but getting those on the books. Um, additionally, a once a month check-in with sales, you know, that content piece, Sales information can help marketing in their nurture strategy and their content development, but we've got to be able to take the time to say, hey, what have you been hearing? What's out there in the market? Um, you know, when you're competing against a competitor on a deal and we're losing, why? When we're winning, why? How can we speak to that? Um, sure, that stuff goes into sales playbooks, but can also be part of your marketing nurtures. And so in that way, sales can help marketing and marketing helps sales by having that content available for them when they're ready. Uh, so if you create that opportunity, maybe that schedule that once a month 
competitive review or content review, um, you can start to build and bring those two teams together and say, hey, you know, what can we do to, to help each other in making this grow? Um, but just getting those on the books with, with some of your stakeholders and keeping that regular and consistent and as an open forum for discussion, um, you know, certainly having an agenda, but keeping plenty of room for just, just questions and general conversation um, as to what's happening. Yeah, yeah, again, good advice. And I would even say, obviously, dependent on the size of your organization, like you can take it a step further. Um, and I'll use Mad Kudu as an example, too, just because I'm really always very proud of our sales and marketing alignment as we meet weekly. Um, we're talking all the time and we're all friends too. Like that's the best part of it is that, um, you know, we get along, we respect each other and we have a healthy relationship and somebody is always in the pipeline meeting representing marketing and listening, even if it's just sitting there listening, being a fly on the wall, um, understanding like, Hey, how can I, how can I help push this deal through, um, and leveraging your network and your relationships too, to say, Ooh, I think that, you know, if we take this approach to this opportunity, um, we might get some headway there. So yeah, taking it a step further, if you can, if, if the size of your org and, and the speed that you're working at allows for it, you know, make it weekly, make it bi-weekly, join those pipeline review calls, make sure you're listening to the sales calls, the demos, because it's, that content is gold, as you were saying, for, for marketing materials and sales enablement. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, awesome thoughts on sales and marketing alignment. Now let's move one layer up and I want to talk about a, the data-driven CMO. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to start with some facts here because <laughs> I like to set the stage uh, if you haven't noticed, but there were a couple really good articles that have come out recently on this exact topic. Um, and I can share the links to these too, but one of them is on CMS Wire, and this one's a really great one and definitely more of like an opinion piece, but um, the quote is, the best strategy for success is to work in partnership with marketing operations. Um, and this is from the perspective of a marketing ops person, kind of like pleading, like let's please, like we need to have this relationship, we need to have this collaboration at a higher level, at that CMO, at that executive level. Um, and I'll share that article, it's a great, it's a great piece. But some numbers to share with you that I thought were really interesting that will kind of take us into this conversation is um, one from a Gartner article that I was reading about, you know, CMOs and how they're tackling their marketing ops budgets. And this was an interesting one to me because they were asking about personally, if you had the opportunity to personally improve, you know, some, some area of, uh, of skills, where would you focus your efforts? And the majority or the top answer from those CMOs was operations and execution. So I think that we're starting to see, you know, this evolution of the CMO, you know, becoming, moving into this like more data-driven, operationally-minded um, role and idea. And, and the idea of, well, there's a pain point behind that, right? Like, why do they want to be there? And in another survey from Brandmaker, and this one, Brooke, you and I laughed at, of, of the CMO surveyed or the marketing executive surveys, 99% of them wanted to see their marketing operations improve. <laughs> so there's obviously a pain point there. And I think before it was like, well, yeah, we want marketing operations to improve. And now it's like, what do we do to get there? And I think that it, a lot of CMOs are starting to acknowledge that 
they also need to, you know, become more data driven, become more operationally minded, and also work on that relationship, that collaboration with their marketing ops team. Um, so to get into, you know, my questions for you, what I would love your insight on is, you know, why is it so important that we have data driven CMOs? How can that really help accelerate marketing operations? Yeah, I think that's really, you know, I think that's twofold. When you talk about the evolution of the CMO and the person that's in that role, if if you take a step back and you look at how much technology and data and these integrations have evolved, um, you know, when you look back 15 years ago, most of these platforms that we're using now for digital marketing didn't exist at all. Um, so as these people were moving up in their organizations and they were becoming directors and things at that time, they didn't have some of the hands-on practitioner experience that many people today do as they continue to rise up. And so as those things have evolved, as digital has become a bigger piece in marketing, as opposed to the traditional, hey, we put out a, a PR piece in the newspaper, or we got an ad in a magazine, or we went to this trade show, right? We've moved into this digital world. We've moved into integrations and a lot of things where marketing impacts the entire customer experience from the very first interaction, whether it's with an ad or your website or search, through time spent on site, your emails, even into your sales engagements, but becoming a customer and after your nurtures, marketing is touching all of those. Your data is touching all of those. And when you can impact that customer experience in that way, you're, you're doing things like we talked about, accelerating pipeline and revenue, but you're also giving, given the opportunity to help engage your existing customers, which your lifetime customer value becomes a part of that too. If you can build that relationship and you've got data to be able to connect with that customer, um, that strong customer experience is really crucial too. And so that's something that your CMOs should absolutely be looking at um, and considering across the board. And of course the data and the metrics are getting better and being able to tie marketing to revenue. Um, so we talked a little bit about being a cost center versus being a revenue gener generator. Before, there wasn't the ability to connect those things. And a lot of it was just brand awareness campaigns of like, yeah, those magazine ads or those trade shows. We couldn't connect those with anything. And now we actually do have the data that we can look at behind the scenes to say, okay, pipeline, revenue, marketing touched that. Here's how we can optimize our spend. And those are the things that are going to be important to CMOs, especially we can, when they can start to take ownership for pipeline and revenue generation um, and say, hey, marketing is committing to generating this amount or influencing this amount. You're starting to speak the language of business. You're talking about revenue. You're bringing data into those conversations. Those are the types of things that CMOs can use to drive those asks for more budget, for more headcount, for expansion in some of your efforts or rebranding or website rebuilds, whatever the case may be. Um, but then when you are sitting in front of whether it's investors, a board, whatever the case may be, you have data behind it. And it's a lot harder to, to talk in terms of fluffy metrics when it's like, oh, well, yeah, we had 100,000 people that walked past our trade show. No, we had this many people that did this, that opened pipeline that generated bookings. Um, and it's a lot more solid foundation. And so when CMOs are able to work closely with the marketing operations people who are behind the scenes connecting those dots and working in the data and bringing that picture together, um, that's going to make the CMO have a much stronger face in those interactions. Uh, so really, you're, you know, if, if you're a CMO or, or VP out there, your marketing operations person should really be one of your best friends. 
Yes, absolutely. And I would say the same for marketing too. Those in demand gen growth roles, you know, your marketing ops person, literally the wind beneath all of your campaigns wings and, you know, not given enough credit or enough, um, you know, focus on building that relationship, just as you're saying with the CMO, it's equally as important. Um, so we also had talked about, you know, thinking about this like data-driven CMO and that, um, you know, we're starting to kind of see like a change in career path, right? So with marketing ops, it, it felt for a while, like you could just be, you know, this level at marketing ops and do the same thing. And you're like, well, what's next, right? Like, what am I going to do next? And I think what we're starting to see is a lot of marketing ops folks are realizing that there is so much more opportunity and that you could be a CMO, like you could be that data-driven CMO and you'd have that solid background. And in fact, it's going to probably give you an advantage um, if that's the path that you want to take. But I know, you know, there's this talent shortage though. And I think that there's also an issue around allowing people or, or kind of showing people that there is that opportunity to have that, you know, crazy growth. And there's all of these different paths that you could go, but how do you encourage, you know, our teams and growth minded people to think about that long-term career path? Yeah, I think that's, you know, that's certainly one of the big things is, you know, several years ago, marketing operations as a career path or even as a job title didn't really exist in the way that it does now. It's it's really just skyrocketed. Um, but even before, you know, you you often might see marketing operations managers, but things like director or VP were really, really few and far between. Um, and I've seen far more of those open now than I've ever have, um, you know, especially I would say the last six months or so. Uh, it's opened up even more. And I think what that has done is given people a career opportunity forward in marketing operations. Before, a lot of that was, okay, I'm in marketing operations, but if I want to move up, I need to go to demand gen or I need to go to like if I'm really into the technical then I need to go into data analysis or IT or you know you, you kind of had to split because there wasn't a director of marketing operations there wasn't a VP of marketing operations and so you saw a lot of movement around that way um, but I've also seen really great demand gen people fall in love with that and, and land over in the marketing ops space um, but I think that's the thing is there's there's so much flexibility and even though, you know, when it comes to demand gen or, or digital, the, the marketing ops person may not be the person that's actually going into like a LinkedIn or Google and setting bids and choosing audiences, but they are the person that's behind the scenes connecting the data. And if you think of where that move, where that plays in as you start to move up into your role, when you're in a position like a VP role, you're not the person that's in there setting bids and building audiences you have somebody that's doing that for you. But if you understand the data behind the scenes and how that all works together and the strategy for it, you've got that data background to stand on. Um, and so now that's that's created this opportunity or opened up a career path there because you are more data focused. Um, you understand the strategy and how those things come into play. And that gives that room to continue to move up into, yes, general, if you want to, VP of marketing, CMO, whatever the case may be. Um, but then certainly as the marketing ops roles themselves have moved up, 
you know, now there are opportunities for a VP of marketing ops. If that's truly what you love to do and where you want to be, there's a ton of roles that have that now that are more strategic focused and less tactical, but are higher level roles. So there's, there's a career path continuing to develop now. Um, that I don't think we've seen at this scale or this rate or, or this high up in the past. Um, so I'm excited to continue to see where this goes. Yeah, me too. It's very exciting. And uh, kind of on the flip side of that, another thing we talked about is kind of getting into marketing operations as a start, right? Like your background is in psychology. We talked about a few other uh, people that you admire that have, you know, backgrounds in science and, and completely different, you know, sometimes technical, but not in the realm of like marketing operations and B2B and SaaS and software and things like that. But um, like, what would be your advice for looking for that right person to bring onto your team? Um, you know, when you're looking at candidates, because we hear this too on this series over and over again, that the best people just don't always have this like clear path of like, okay, I started here in marketing ops and now I would like this role. It's very different. Yeah. I feel like a lot of the people that you talk to, many of them fell into marketing operations, right? Uh, dating myself a little bit here, but like when I was in, when I was in school, when I was in college, most of these platforms didn't exist yet. Marketo didn't come into creation until after I had graduated college. So you weren't going to find somebody that had a degree in that. Um, it, it, a lot of it came from people who found it, became interested in it, fell in love with it, and found ways to pursue it. And so that's where I think anybody coming into a role like this, you have to be growth-minded um, and continually growth-minded because these platforms, the technology, it is all evolving at such a rapid rate that they can't teach it in school. You have to do it by learning and learning on the job and being involved in these platforms. And so you have to be growth minded and want to actually seek that out and continue to grow and develop your skills or you're going to be left behind. So if you are looking for somebody for these roles, if you're looking within your own organization for somebody that might be a good fit to move into those, who has that growth minded feel to them, who, who's interested in that pursuit, who's willing to go out and learn and challenge and push themselves. Those are the people you're going to want to keep an eye on. And there's a tremendous amount of opportunity to evaluate those people within your role and create a career path for them that they're interested in um, and give them growth opportunities. As you mentioned, there's a bit of a talent shortage um, that we see out there right now. There's roles that are sitting open six, nine months. If you can foster that internally with somebody who already knows your organization, your go-to-market strategy, has relationships within your organization, you could be far better off taking the time to invest in someone who has that interest in that drive because that person, you're now giving them growth opportunities and a career trajectory where they're more likely to stick around because you're investing in them and you're giving them new challenges. Um, so take a look at those people, invest in them, encourage that and foster it. Yeah, great advice. Um, I shared in the chat to a an org, Highway Education, that um, a lot of our speakers have talked about as well. And they're doing an awesome job of just kind of like bringing 
digital marketing education, marketing ops education to folks that want to launch their career in marketing operations. So giving them the opportunity, like, wow, like this wasn't offered in school, but there are, there are opportunities to find those types of courses to get you to that experience level. So it's like, let's not look at, you know, the school and then the next role after that and the next role after that, but let's look more broadly at that experience, as you mentioned. It's even in the agency, um, you know, I had people that that came underneath of me over time that had started in SEO or mm-hmm. came to learn Marketo and HubSpot and they were working on the paid team. Uh, you know, they, they had an interest. They got excited about being able to go in and build the data and see the impact of what it was that they were working on. And that curiosity sort of built upon itself uh, mm-hmm. and grew into that. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's like those things that you look for. Curiosity is what stuck out to me there. Curiosity, that drive, that hunger, that creativity, even, you know, it's what are those attributes versus what's on paper? Um, okay, so I know we're well, we're running out of time. Uh, we could talk about this all day. Uh, I did want to ask you, we have one question that I'll get to from the audience. But first, and so this is your hint to get in any other questions that you have that you want to ask Brooke. Um, and before that, we have one last question from me. Um, what are some of your favorite marketing ops resources that you'd like to share? Ooh, favorite marketing operations resources. Um, Slack is probably one of the most active. Um, one that I've seen out there right now, there are a ton of Slack communities from MOPS professionals to MoPros to uh, Email Geeks um, is a great one if you're in a lot of these platforms. Um, there's, I mean, the list could go on and on. Um, in terms of that, users groups. Users groups are a great one. I have learned so much myself from being able to engage digitally with users groups that before I wouldn't have had the opportunity to interact with and see speakers and, you know, watch, watch them actually demonstrate things that have opened my eyes. Um, you know, in the cat, in the chat box there, I saw Corey Bayless from AWS. Hey, Corey, uh, another amazing, absolute rock star in ops and dev. And, you know, he's, he's put some really great work out there, um, you know, dialing into those kinds of resources that are digital and online and on demand, um, give an opportunity to up-level your skill set around the schedule that you have, uh, but just to to really expand into areas of interest. And as you mentioned, creativity, um, you know, seeing new things and being able to then take those back and apply those in your organization. Love it. Um, okay, Brooke, it's been so amazing to get to chat with you today. I'm honored to have you on the show. Um, we have one audience question before we hang up here today from Samantha. I'm going to pull that up. Um, I love this, Samantha. Hey, Brooke, longtime listener, first time caller. <laughs> Any <laughs> suggestions for powerful OKRs, KPIs uh, for us in marketing ops? I find that a lot of our work, while critical, isn't sexy like in demand. Yeah, I hear you there because I, uh, I actually just went through this process in doing my performance review uh, goal setting for work. And I, I even said this to my boss exactly. It was like, well, it's, you know, it's a lot harder to tie numbers to the stuff that I do than it is to tie, you know, these these demand gen numbers. Um, but I think a lot of it, you know, some of it's going to come down to your organization. One of the ones that I was tied to in the past was related to sync times um, on an instance that I was, was working on. Um, another one 
could be just, you know, do you have areas for process improvement and rolling those out or areas for training? Uh, it could be, uh, you know, that you're looking to create a certain amount of documentation based on your existing systems or putting in place a new center of excellence and standards around that. Um, you might have KPIs for usage and adoption that go with that. Um, so those are some ones that I've, I've sort of been tied to in the past. Um, if you've got new platforms that are coming online. So for me, as I mentioned, the attribution platform is going to be one of my biggest goals. It's not necessarily something that's a, a shiny number-based goal, um, but my target is that in the second half of the year that we are going to make a decision on an attribution platform that we're going to stand up. Um, and I'm, I'm being tied to the success of that. So a lot of that's going to be, I'm gonna be in charge of the collaboration with the sales ops team and with the vendor that we choose um, that's going to go on my plate. And so that's often how I quantify it is what are what are we trying to do with the marketing ops tools that we have? Um, and that can help drive the direction of how you're how you're guiding those KPIs. And they may be a little bit less numbers driven um, as a result because they might be, you know, yeah, it's it's not views or, or form conversions or something like that. Um, but there are other things that you can set as your goals and hold yourself to and commit to within your organization um, that that become a great thing for marketing ops to say, hey, this is this is our impact um, and how we've we've helped make the organization successful. Yeah, yeah, I see Samantha says great suggestions. Thank you. Um, perfect. I'm glad that answered your question, Samantha. All right. Well, we are at time, a little over time. Typically, we end at 11:45, but sometimes these conversations are just too good, so we keep going. Um, so, thank you again, Brooke, for being here today. It's been a pleasure to pull some of that knowledge out of you and and share it with the audience here. Um, and we will have the replay up soon on our uh, Mops Confessions replay site, so everybody can come back to that and share it. We'll, we also always kind of try and find those snippets that we can pull out and share on social too. Um, for next week, we hope that you'll come back and join us as we have another amazing session. We're going to be joined by Liz Medlicott from Model N, Director of Marketing Ops over there at Model N. Um, and our VP of, VP of Marketing, Lord Kendall, will be doing that interview. So very exciting. Um, and again, thank you, everyone. Thank you, Brooke. Thank you to the audience. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your Thursday. Thank you so much, Hannah. Thank you, everyone, for being here. Bye-bye.